Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your Week in IndyCar listener Q&A show. Everything brought to us by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Discount Tire. Big thanks to y'all for all the questions you sent in. This is one of the later publishings for a Week in IndyCar. Got this done fully on Friday, past weekend, busy with both timely work and also our 18th wedding anniversary so sincere apologies up front recording this new to put in front of what i did from friday and hope that you enjoy this heading into thanksgiving here in a couple of days so i will put out a new call for questions just wanted to say thank you for everything you sent in thank you to our pal jerry suddeth for putting together our questions as he always does and let's say one more thank you and encouragement if you are so moved dear dear friend cassie johnston who i hope you follow at mama g-force on x aka twitter she's done a pretty amazing thing during the last couple of holidays that is raising funds to buy toys for kids underprivileged kids and she is aiming higher than ever this year being cassie which means extra at all times and i say that in the best possible way some folks are extra and it's just drama and nonsense and then there are some folks like cassie and her husband craig and quite a few folks in the prude listener group who are very extra and they use it extra to do really positive things so cassie started prukids.org p-r-u-e-k-i-d-s.org you're so inclined pay prukids.org a visit and donate and that money is going straight to the various charitable organizations she's picked a number of locations throughout the country many that coincide with places where indycar is fairly popular and is trying to help kids through those various charities and this is all something we're doing and i think the goal is to support a hundred kids and for the update that cassie provided yesterday through the first week or so i believe we have gotten to 40 four zero so still 60 kids to support a couple thousand dollars has been raised what cassie has done in the past is raise the funds go and buy all the toys herself put together these huge amazing care packages not able to do that this year She's got some other things that are making more timely use of her available bandwidth, but she is making sure that the money's going straight to places that will help a bunch of kids here during the upcoming holidays. So if you're so inclined, big believer in trying to do charitable things, prukids.org and try and help out. Uh, my wife, Shabrell and I will be doing the same. So that's the little public service announcement for the show and let's get going with an extremely belated publishing of the week in indycar listener q and a show we're going to start off with jeremy davis chris ward and a bunch of others hey we're talking about indycar and the hey this is going to work there are no concerns whatsoever gaming uh came to light this week that IndyCar has sent a termination notice to Motorsport Games saying, want our license back, 
want to be free and clear of y'all. We're going to quote, go in a different direction. Uh, that's what we're opening up with here. And uh, Jeremy also ranks as, I think, the world's number one Scott Dixon fan says, I know we are all shocked that IndyCar's game is being pulled from motorsports games. Now will iRacing please buy and get the rights back and make an incredible game? Says, always enjoyed the IndyCar content that they had on iRacing. Seems to be the resounding please, please, please that I've read from so many folks, Jeremy. Not where should IndyCar go with developing their next game, but please go straight back to iRacing and have them do everything. Can't say if this is factual. I just know it's something that I heard from someone who tends to be fairly credible. And it was, hey, uh, we've got a lot of things going on, a lot of interest going on, NASCAR being probably top of the list. So if this was a year ago, year and a half ago, heck, before the agreement with Motorsport Games was ever executed, I get the feeling like iRacing being the one-stop shopping, Jeremy, where this could be done, right? So not only the online gaming, but also some form of console uh, solution as well. I feel like this would have been a ton easier to happen. I've heard they're pretty busy. And so do they have enough people? Do they have enough bandwidth to make IndyCar a top priority among everything else iRacing is doing to help get a IndyCar something to market in a reasonable amount of time? That to me is the big question. And if it isn't iRacing, realize that there are other game developers out there. I just, I don't know where this would lead. I also don't know how many pre-existing relationships like the one between IndyCar and iRacing are sitting out there to pick up and potentially fast track something. Our guy, Ryan Terpstra. How you doing there, Ryan? Hope all is well in Michigan. <clears throat> says, do you think another team will engage Honda for the engine lease that Andretti relinquished. So, interesting topic. Had a long call with Honda this week. This was one of the topics. And couple points of clarity here. Andretti did not relinquish anything. If they choose tomorrow to run a fourth car, fourth full-season car, fourth part-time car, whatever it might be, they have that motor available to them by contract, by contractual obligation from Honda Performance Development. So while the team has confirmed, I believe first to the excellent Jack Benyon, uh, and then uh, I know that I spoke with them, I think Monday. Um, Andretti's going forward with three cars, Colton Herta, Kyle Kirkwood, Marcus Erickson. Great choice. Been needing to do it. Been hearing that was the direction they'd planned for quite a while. Happy to hear they're doing that. Couple of quick things. Contract with Honda is unrelated to that. So by them not running a fourth full-time, part-time, whatever car, at least at this moment, 
that doesn't mean that they forfeit anything contractually. It's sitting there waiting to be used if they so choose. Other item, and I think I wrote this as well, just because that lease is potentially not being used does not mean that Honda has a motor sitting under the, the heat lamp <laughs> waiting for it to be uh, picked up and used by someone else. There is not kind of a one-to-one -one correlation of unused motor by this team means another team will get it. Honda needs to feel moved and motivated to put that, quote, unused engine lease in the back of someone else's car. Could that be part-time, full-time? Who knows? But it's not a, aha, here's a freebie. Now, who else might we lease this out to? Um, another thing, too, this is just something to keep uh, in the back of your mind. Know that I've written, mentioned that the Andretti Global team was looking at farming a fourth car out for running by someone else. Maybe Brian Herter was the one I'd heard primarily. Um, Andretti Global has announced that they are running three cars, confirmed they're only running three full-time cars. They've yet to announce if another team, an affiliate team, could make use of that. Is there a chance that could happen? Have to leave that possibility open. <clears throat> Andretti's been pretty good at forging alliances. I know they have a newish one I keep hearing about in Indy NXT, for example. So the concept of three primary entries, but having that fourth lease available if desired, whether they want to put a fourth car on track at some races or potentially farm that out to another team. Here's, a, here's an idea, and it's just one that I've had. I'm not saying I've heard about this from the other team I'm about to mention, but I know Meyer Shank Racing, Andretti Global, Andretti Technologies affiliate, has had a number of inquiries from drivers who would love to be in a part-time Meyer Shank Racing car. With the team not running a sports car program in 2024 and having a bunch of extra employees, does MSR stand out as an affiliate that if Andretti had a driver, <clears throat> say a good NXT driver, that they were considering running in 2025 in IndyCar and wanted to get that driver out for a couple of races towards the end of the season? Could that be a thing where with that motor lease, they might be able to do that and tab a Meyershank racing to do that could it be something they did on their own again in-house would say there's a lot of possibilities here could shank if they have a driver and again i'm aware of a number of drivers who've gone to them saying hi i don't have a big budget i got a couple million maybe like to do some indycar races what options do we have well it's always come down to engines first if HPD were compelled, Andretti saw something there again. Variety of options. Not saying these are like front burner going to happen. Just saying there's a whole range of possibilities here. 
And if Andretti decides we're only doing three, period, no more, and I'm not talking about the Indy 500, just saying full season, that's it, period, no affiliates, no anything, and that motor does go unused, that then falls back to HPD to decide if and what they do or don't want to do with it. Dale Coyne, Ray Holliday and Lanigan, etc., etc. Uh, so there we go. Um, why don't we move to Andrew Dry Belbus? How you doing? So you say, does Andretti downsizing mean we are less likely to have any bumping at the Indy 500? Or do you anticipate a current team adding another car for the race to fill that spot? I do not foresee any lack of entries for the 500 Andrew to push us beyond 33. Think about the quote extra entries. And I know you're talking Honda and Andretti here, but just think about what we have coming with John Reinbold. We can expect two there. That's on the Chevy side. We know there'll be a third from Ed Carpenter racing Christian Rasmussen Foyt's running a third would not be a surprise to us at all. Uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting some others. Oh, we know Aaron McLaren is running Kyle Larson in a extra car. So Chevy is going to be 12. I believe, I think, I believe 12 full season. They're preparing for who knows what the final number will be, but 17 to 18 for the Indy 500, right? Able Motorsports, are they going to be back? They're trying, right? So that's plenty of cars right there. Honda, I think it's going to be little tight in that department. They're going to be 17-ish full season. I'm sorry, 15-ish full season. Would say, could there be an extra Ray Hall car? Possibly. Uh, we know Ganassi's already at five, so that's a pretty decent chunk right there. We know Meyer Shank Racing will be three. They'll be running an extra, that for Elio, so uh, we're looking pretty stout right there. Um, Andretti, we think we're going to see Marco back, so that would be another entry on top of the full season ones. So you can already see how Honda at 15-ish full-time be 17, 18, pretty easy. So just not even thinking about that, quote, unused engine, Andrew, or the, quote, downsized Andretti, going to be looking at, what, 35-ish, maybe 36 potentially. So we always have that number, though, brother, at this time of the season. <laughs> right now, yeah, I'm going to have 4,000 entries, see? And yeah, boy, yeah, there's going to be a million people bump, see? And we usually get closer to the race, and this thing falls apart, and who knows? But I anticipate things being pretty similar to what they were last year. Well, we only had one car bumped last year, I believe, but or last May, I should say. But yeah, the forecast right now is about 27 full-time, and that means... We're going to have four, five, six, who knows, extra Chevys for the 500 potentially. Three, I might be forget, forgetting another, but three-ish maybe extra on the Honda side since they're running pretty full during the full season. So I think we're going to be, uh, we're going to be bumping, brother. No question. 
Um, Lance Snyder, you say, does David Maluka send Alex Pillow a Christmas card for his ride at McLaren? He should. He's a thoughtful young man. I was giving him a little bit of grief last weekend in Sears Point, a.k.a. Sonoma Raceway at the Velocity Invitational event, where there's David in nicely turned out shoes, pressed slacks, McLaren polo tucked in, and a pristine papaya orange McLaren jacket uh, over that polo. And I just said, it's going to take me a while to get used to this. <laughs> like not seeing you in just like full 19 year old looking college student, uh, just woke up and rushed to class hair going in a thousand direct his hair is still, you know, kind of a creature of its own, but the just woke up threw on whatever I could find that was crumpled up on the floor and ran to class look that i love about good old davy um it is bizarre seeing him in the quadruple corporate super button down uh presentation form and i just told him like man this is crazy uh, i'm happy for you but it's bizarre and uh he kind of looked at gave me a strange look um yeah uh oh, the alex polo situation um it, sh it shows no signs of going away, Lance. And I know that's not necessarily what you're asking, but hey, we're here, so let's talk about it. Um, yeah, so I saw a tweet from Alex, I believe, over the weekend maybe, of his Formula 3 team, the new Formula 3 team, uh, which he started. I apologize, I'm forgetting exactly where it's running in the world, but somewhere in the world... I believe his dad is largely looking after it. I don't know how it is set up as a business, right? Whether it's in his father's name or what it get, I can't tell you. But I can tell you that being at Sonoma, being there collaborating with McLaren, uh, with the McLaren Heritage F1 cars and doing a bunch of filming and, you know, just being in that hub for most of the event and knowing that everything went wrong with Alex. Alex is being sued within an inch of his life by McLaren. Davey Malukas was there. He was sick, by the way, and definitely kind of powered through things, so good on him. But seeing Davey there, who's the embodiment of, wow, uh, this was never supposed to turn out like this, yet it has, and how awesome is it for you? And I'm really, truly happy for him. Um and then seeing, you know, whatever congratulatory tweet and photo sent out by Alex, unrelated to all this, but seeing it, I think, over the weekend and showed the cars and the team, and I think they finished, like, best among rookies, rookie drivers and so on, and just, like, wow, I don't know how the business is structured, but I hope none of this is in your name, man, because if it is, uh, it's going to be owned by someone else here. Um not sure how long it's going to take for this lawsuit to get resolved. I keep hearing it's going to play out over a good long while, even possibly into 2025. So who knows how much that is going to cost just in the 
processing of the lawsuit. We would think it would be millions upon millions. But then what does the final settlement end up being? It sure sounds like it's going to be one where Alex loses way, way, way too many of the things that are important to him. So none of that makes me happy. But I can tell you this lawsuit is not going away and is not going to be resolved uh, anytime soon. And yeah, a bit of a a stain that we're not going to be able to clean for a good while here. Sorry, you sent in something kind of funny and I took it a little dark. Sorry. Uh, Hey, Chris Kalewick, you are up next. Say MP. I'm taking another sip of coffee. You commented on the lack of new ideas going on with IndyCar to advance the series and bring in younger fans. Saying Chicago, the Blackhawks owner, refused to make a lot of needed changes. And when he died, his kids immediately made those changes. And now the team is one of the NHL's biggest moneymakers. See, my question revolves on this. And how involved are Roger Penske's kids with ultimate decisions and final say on new ideas within the series? Close with asking, is it possible that the captain, Roger Penske, is holding IndyCar back? Oh boy, we could spend the rest of the episode, many episodes on this topic. Uh, Chris, I'll try to keep this one somewhat compact. When I think of IndyCar's future, I have a lot of faith knowing that when the time comes for the keys to be handed to Roger's son, Greg, Greg Penske, I have a lot of faith in Greg and he's someone who's been around IndyCar his whole life, obviously, but smart guy, ambitious guy, good ideas from what I hear gets the more modern aspects of the sport and the world told. He really does understand that digital is vital digital matters that everything being of a television mindset, right? People who sit down on their couch and consume that mindset, while it's still a pretty big part of how IndyCar is consumed, he gets the fact that ever shifting, ever changing, and we have to adapt with it. I have a lot of faith in where the series can go with Greg in charge. And I only hear that at whatever point in time in the future that the transition is meant to happen, that's how it will happen with Greg being in charge. In the meantime, IndyCar finds itself in a bit of paralysis. I want to call it fear because I don't think that it's fear-based paralysis but it finds itself in a really strange grip of not sure what to do next and everybody's watching to see what we do (laughs) you've seen maybe you've had it happen in your own life but got a raccoon out rummaging around 
garbage cans making a lot of noise pitch black you know they turn on the porch light cut on a flashlight raccoon freezes what caught huh if i don't move maybe no one will notice me it's what comes to mind when i think of indycar right now they've set a plan in motion to go hybrid that plan was set in motion before penske entertainment purchased the series arrow kit was conceived and commissioned before penske entertainment bought the series um the universal arrow kit was conceived and brought to market well before penske entertainment bought the series been hearing for years and i I have to admit i can't remember exactly chris on the timing uh might have been before they bought or just after or who knows but been hearing for years from indycar president jay fry i should clarify here too president that sounds like highest office or among the highest offices and it is and this is not a critical statement towards jay but it is i think we need to grasp the difference in that title during the penske entertainment ownership era prior to their ownership jay was president president of the competition side president of the series company and was massive decision maker policy setter direction setter affected all aspects of indycar since penske entertainment has purchased vast majority of those big decision making areas and direction setting where do we go what do we do what's our identity those things have all been taken and assumed by penske entertainment's leadership meaning jay is as i sometimes refer to here and also say in the racer mailbag jay's in charge of competition the cars running of the series that we see at the racetrack the administration side right uh he's not a roger goodell president whatever his official title is of the national football league who kind of sort of dictates everything uh that used to be jay and so when jay was hearing and thinking man we need to make these cars look better okay well we're going to commission something to do that and did it hey we said we're going to do a new engine we need to do a new engine we're going to do a new engine commission that announced off we go feedback from manufacturers saying hey we really got to go hybrid we can't just go regular motor like we do now changes made there agreed to it did it off we go announced in 2019 um run through a lot of things here where you go hey the cars we have today and how we go racing how they look the motor just all facets of what we have these things were all set in motion by jay not saying in isolation he's got a great team of folks around him but just saying terms of dictating policy that was him that has substantially changed since penske entertainment took over he's no longer that guy 
So the one thing coming back to this that I know Jay had been speaking to me about for years of wanting to do, but I can't remember exactly where it falls on the timeline of Penske ownership or non-ownership was biofuel, 100% renewable fuel. That was introduced this year, 2023. And so I know that Jay had been wanting to do that for a while because he was telling me about it for quite a while. Finally happened. Do we credit Penske Entertainment for that? Or IndyCar's president? Get Not sure. That, to me, though, stands out as maybe the one big, here's a difference to how we go racing and present ourselves to the public type thing. And it's super cool. And yet it's something that after it was announced, after we did stories about it in February at Thermal Club Spring Training, it pretty much disappeared. I think there was a bump talking about it in May, the Indy 500, but by and large, this cool, fully renewable fuel is really the one big new thing, which if you're unless you're a big fan of the tech side of racing, you probably read it, heard about it, said, oh, hey, that's cool. Completely forgot about it. And as it probably should be, because it doesn't affect anything about what you see practice qualifying or the race. But that's pretty much where we draw a line. And so what's coming next year, hybridization, energy recovery systems, this was something envisioned by previous administration that is now going to come true just want to give you that kind of run back here chris because to give you your answer i don't know of anything else that's coming i don't know of anything else that we could say wow that's a that's a game changer that's big that's ambitious or that's risky, but sometimes you got to take risk, hoping that things pay off, right? I know we're going back to Milwaukee next year. Cool. I really hope it works, but I don't know how that takes IndyCar to a place it hasn't already been in terms of popularity or awareness or otherwise. This weekend's Las Vegas Grand Prix, <laughs> and having watched the session being stopped yesterday with the manhole cover, woman hole cover, person hole cover. I'm not sure what we call that, but uh, the session being stopped because of track surface issues. I realized that that didn't exactly get off the way they hoped, but come on, you cannot help but look at these big ambitious things that formula one's doing and hope even with one, one millionth of the budget IndyCar tries to do something that is not just kind of same old same old um the the expression about thinking outside the box always hated that but it does come to mind here where since penske entertainment purchased the series it has been by and large nothing but in the box thinking safe measured do not do anything that might not be positive or favorable. 
some of y'all might be thinking, was that applied when they signed the agreement with their now former video game developer? Great point. Might not have hit a home run on that one. But to your point, we have a owner of IndyCar who is hyper-conservative when it comes to business, right? Penske Corporation did not become the giant that it is by taking crazy risks. And I'm not saying that IndyCar should become a joke with nothing but gimmicks and trying to do crazy things to get attention. But the world's watching. Paddock's watching. Manufacturers are watching, wondering what are you going to do to increase attendance, increase viewership, uh, increase value, reduce costs. What something, what is it? So think without a doubt, you'd have to say since Penske bought the series, did some smart things during COVID to keep it afloat, keep it moving all credit due there. A lot of money was spent to do that. Get all those things. Patting folks on the back, year two removed from COVID. Okay, again, great appreciation, and it is genuinely due. But now that we're out of that, where do we go? We still have these hybrid engines to come next year. This isn't meant to be a spoiler alert in a bad way. It's just telling you the truth. You can't see them. You can't hear them. And unless IndyCar devises some sort of panel on the car that lights up or gives some sort of signal to fans that the ERS is engaged and electronic horsepower is being deployed, unless there is some sort of, hey, it's happening signal, you will never know to the point where this energy recovery system is so amazingly integrated into the car. And I mean it like it's a marvel of packaging. You take the bodywork off and you could really be an expert of the IndyCar chassis and know every little part and piece. Take the bodywork off and unless you really know what you're looking for, you would have no clue that it exists to the point to where IndyCar could pull those systems out of the cars, go racing next season, tell you that they're hybrid, and you'd have no way of really knowing or arguing that they weren't. So marvel of packaging. From a race car engineering standpoint, I looked at it and said, wow, phenomenal. But from a, hey, fans, here's this cool new thing we're doing, even if others have been doing it for a long time, but here we're doing it, and it's important, and it's modern, and here's a way to let you know that it even exists and is functioning in the car. Like I hope they do that. And I don't know what it is. Does a little flag pop up on the engine cover? Does something flash? Okay, I don't know. But it, 
it's a bit like buying the world's most amazing t-shirt and then putting a sweater over it and you go oh (laughs) i'm walking through a crowd i'm at a party i have the world's most amazing t-shirt but no one can see it uh it's that so i don't know chris i don't know where we go here but i know that the hyper conservative business approach where indycar seems so ripe for modernization in so many areas let's come up with a new car that has everybody just staggered with its beauty or futurism or something where folks oh my gosh i have to go to a track to see that not us not the fans who are already here but new folks the velocity invitational event last weekend it's a vintage racing event okay so vintage already means old there were as many if not more youth folks in their late teens tons tons in their 20s maybe even into early 30s were there why to see a bunch of old race cars not really one of the things that the organizers of the event do is invite and or sell space in the paddock to show their cars but hyper cars and some of them quote vintage some mclaren f1s were there which is phenomenal but also pagani's and this is and that's uh things that live on instagram and have trillions of of views that you almost never get to see in person and so tons tons of quote kids and i feel fairly confident in saying the majority of what they captured there lives strictly on instagram or tiktok not Facebook, <laughs> not Grandpa's Facebook or MySpace or even X, but this is the full like wow. These cars that get a zillion trillion likes on IG and wherever else, whether it's photos or videos, there's going to be a huge herd of them. And Ford's unveiling this new exclusive gt variant and mclaren's unveiling this new crazy exclusive version of its road car hypercar such and such it was insane and in the best possible way so here we have a lot of young folks with things that they've seen that look amazing to them but you rarely ever get to experience in the wild and knowing that these were contained at this vintage event for grandpa's favorite race cars they came out in droves so i do believe f1 same thing folks love the look of the new car even those who are newish to f1 think they look amazing for those of us who followed f1 for a while they look giant but regardless 
folks love the look of the new f1 car want to see it want to get up close want to go to places where there's a static display to take photos of it and pose next to it looks matter so i sure wish the folks who own the series would let the folks who are there who used to run the series and had some pretty high ambitious ambition stuff who did ambitious things but haven't been able to i wish they'd let them get back to doing some things like that and come up with a new car not just because the current one is ancient but hi there's proof in the world that if you create something beautiful stunning oh my gosh what is that oh but hey where can i find it i want to go see that up close you do that there's a response waiting you want new fans you want new engagement you want greater relevance on social media digital platforms there's a way to do that it's just not with what we have and have had for a really long time so yes uh i hope something changes in terms of power and who's allowed to do what sometime soon here chris because uh we're gaining ground in indycar but it's inch by inch while we watch others gain yards at a time ray helmers you say as i understand it honda's using their 2.4 liter twin turbo originally intended for indycar in their Acura gtp car true uh little sidebar here ray they actually designed it for use in both so pretty smart of them uh, you say so did chevy build a 2.4 liter indycar motor as well and if so is it in use anywhere else best to you and yours they did build it they did test it to my knowledge it's not being used anywhere else i should ask though next time i speak to chevy try and get an update see if uh those motors uh have been deployed for any other purpose or if they fell silent about a year ago and have been carted off and stored somewhere in the basement of a facility never to be seen again um ryan caminiti mp first happy upcoming thanksgiving to you and the family well thanks brother you as well say if uh, rick hendricks partnering with mclaren for next year is successful do you foresee rick having any interest competing in more events in indycar i tried to fax this in but the number i had was disconnected decades ago well thank you uh <laughs> uh yes i know there's a hope and a possible belief within mclaren that there could be greater participation by hendrick motorsports uh with them in the future if i put my zach brown goggles on and know how he does things zach is never a small thinker it's never let's do this one thing in total isolation and when it's done then maybe we can think about doing something more i'm not saying he has a multi-year commitment to run a full-time mclaren hendrick indycar entry in 2025 and beyond but i can tell you at least based on how what i know zach to be these are the kinds of hey we're going to build it we're going to do this it's going to be amazing let's also think about what this could look like in the future uh that is very much who he is even if it doesn't come to pass i can guarantee you they've had conversations about well what is an annual budget 
Uh, how would this be staffed? Uh, how would this, how would that? Um, I would be surprised if we do not see a larger Errol McLaren Hendrick collaboration uh, as we get to the end of the 2024 season and look to 2025. It does feel like something that uh, would probably happen. Uh, and I need to inquire more about that next time I speak with them. Uh, Grant Stouter, you say, so I saw wing sprint cars at Sears Point in an Instagram post you made. You say, shave your beard, eat some working man's friend, and drink some Pepsi and give us our best Miller impression explaining why an IndyCar driver should race a sprint car. Well, uh, I'm not going to shave my beard because you don't want to see that. Working man's friend sounds great. Pepsi used to be my favorite, but I haven't had that or any other uh, drinks, soft drinks, whatever, for uh, years now. Um, and I try not to do my best Miller because, you know, that was him and I'm me. Uh, but look, there's no argument against it. There's, <laughs> there's just none. This isn't like, hey, I'm going to go swim with great white sharks. Is that a good idea? Kind of know the answer. Probably not. This is one of those things where you go, yes, please go do it. It's going to be amazing. You're not going to learn anything you can apply to an IndyCar. Uh, they're just too radically different, but go do it because you're going to have fun and it might be the favorite car you've ever driven. Uh, let's see. Jamie Dolinger. I'm drinking a lot of coffee this morning. I guess it tells me I didn't get good sleep. Marshall, I always look forward to your Q&As and all content you provide. You know, both here in the racers, you provide such amazing detail, both as an insider and as a fan. Well, geez, that's nice, Jamie. <laughs> So if you had an unlimited budget to start a team in IndyCar, one or two cars, we're recruiting personnel, past or present, who would you bring in? Let's say it's when in-house design is still relevant. Uh, oh, boy. And you wanted me to go in-depth in positions and so on. And Yeah. Um, I probably needed to prepare for this homework assignment, Jamie. Um, we'll table this one and, and probably come back to it in December. How's that when... Uh, I'm not a little groggy and have to put in more thought than my brain's capable of manufacturing right now. Uh, why am I tired? Why am I not getting enough sleep? Uh, I'm about five days into a really processed production heavy magazine feature for road and track and been doing that from early morning till about nine or 10 o'clock at night. Uh, if not later. Uh, so yeah, apologies. Uh, but yeah, uh, we'll try and get back to this sweet question here. Uh, get back to this maybe in December when things are a little quieter and we got more free time to, uh, to go here on the show. Um, let's see at our reads three, nine, nine, one, two asking, uh, about coldest IndyCar race. I can remember, uh, you say since it's the Vegas grand Prix time, which will be one of the coldest on record, uh, what has been the coldest IndyCar race? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't have a list of temperatures and IndyCar races to draw from, unfortunately. Uh, but you say, as a former mechanic and engineer, what were your experiences working on cars in cold weather? I would, I would prefer warm over cold because the one thing that dictates performance more than any other item, tires. And so when you have a track surface and ambient temperatures that are coldy, cold, cold, it means 
you can get grip in the tires. You can get heat into the tires so that they work, but you are not going to get the most out of the car because tires need to be in a certain operating temperature uh, to give their best. You can fudge that a little bit, um, at least in terms of inflation, by going out with starting tire pressures that are a little bit higher, knowing that you might not be generating enough heat for them to inflate uh, all the way to where you want them to be. Uh, but yeah, um, it's funny. Things get too hot, you're miserable. Things get too cold, you're somewhat miserable. Granted, it's when the car comes to a stop and those radiators right next to the cockpit warm you up a little bit where you're not as unhappy. But I mean, I can remember some test days in particular where uh, we were all suited up looking like we were in Alaska about to go on a 100-mile hike. Just like <laughs> so many layers of clothes where we were almost like just could not move, frozen. Um, that was fun. Uh, I remember some times where it would be so cold where you feared how long it would take to warm everything up in the morning. And so I know with uh, some junior open wheel teams that I worked with, engineered, managed, or whatever, uh, <clears throat> we had things we were either close enough to an electrical outlet or if the generator might be running for a while, uh, we'd either bring or go and buy whatever it was, an electric blanket to put over the motor, put over oil tank, something to keep that in a warmish place overnight because coming in and having the oil basically be <laughs> not truly frozen, but seemingly fro almost frozen in the motor um, like a big ice cube. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah there are things you can do uh, to try and use external heaters and, you know, blast furnace type stuff to warm them up. But still, um, yeah. Uh, remember snowing, uh, been there, been testing Texas oval when snow came in, that was fun. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> the temperature side, course you you understand that with a thicker colder thicker air you get more downforce you get more horsepower we know these things but really it all comes back to in terms of the on-track performance what are the tires capable of doing and if it's too cold to get the tires up to temperature you're wasting your time and should not be running so i guess i don't have any like crazy individual memories of this one such and such time but yeah those are maybe some general ones um, Jerry Wilson, you say I'm pretty close friends with several IndyCar crew guys and listening to them discuss this whole thermal club test and exhibition race. I'll seem pretty confused as to why everyone's doing it. I was me wondering if this might be an attempt to change the demographics or direction of IndyCar long-term. Um, not sure I could see how this would change the demographics because there's not going to be very many people there for this. And if we're referring to change it in terms of wealthier folks being involved, it's kind of the way it's always been. Um, we've always had a lot of wealthy folks involved through ownership or fandom or otherwise. Um, yeah, this is really and truly 
a way to fill a big gap on the schedule. This is what this is. I think the part that is most confusing is it's happening after the season has started. So we're doing a biggish spring training-ish type test, but after the season has started, most of the folks that I spoke with in February when we were there, drivers and race engineers in particular, hey, when we go to a track and it's not one that we race on, we look for that track, Sebring's a perfect example, to be one where it gives us data, gives us information that's really valuable to use at other tracks, right? It isn't one we race on, but it has turns or grip or something that simulates another track. And so we can go here and learn stuff that applies there. Got it. Where does Thermal Club fit? And I had one or two engineers say, yeah, yeah, no, no. We, we, we learned some stuff that we can apply elsewhere. The vast majority though, engineers and drivers said, I, I don't know. I can't really think of any place where we're going to take what we learned here and apply it. So that's the first thing. That's a little bit of an oddity. We learned on the first go round that it wasn't particularly beneficial as a testing site. Now there are other things you can test, right? Hey, it's a rookie driver. It's our first time in the car or engineer rookie, you know, again, there are situational things you can learn at a place like that where you go, okay, we got value. You know, Hey, we, what did Aaron McLaren learn last year there? They learned, boy, they weren't ready. They had nothing but operational problems. They had, this didn't work and that broke and this, like they came out of there somewhat shook, but shook in a good way. Like, wow, we thought we were ready, but we aren't seasons coming up really quick. We got to get a lot of things straight. We got to improve kind of the equivalent of a, a preseason football, basketball, whatever game and getting blown out. You go, oh boy, <laughs> okay, we got a lot of practice to do before the season opener. So there are some beneficial things there for sure. But this isn't happening before the season starts. It's happening a couple of weeks after. And so that, I think, stands out to most folks is like, okay, I don't get this. If the track itself doesn't really give you much that we can use elsewhere, and we will have already started the season and potentially gotten blown out or found whatever issues or whatever. If we've already done that process, then I really don't get what we're doing here. But there's a big hole in the schedule, so they're doing it to try and provide some entertainment. That's what this is. Realize that every IndyCar race could be presented as, hey, it's entertainment. It is sports entertainment, but there's a hardcore competition side to it. This isn't that. There's no competition side to this that has any great meaning. So they came up with this million dollar to win all-star race, which again, I think that maybe lands with your friends here, Jerry and me and some others as well is a little bit strange. You're having an all-star race after one race. (laughs) 
okay, <laughs> don't we kind of need to find out who's performing like an all-star? We need to have a few more events before we kind of say, hey, these 10 or 12 are really doing special things. They should comprise a uh, an all-star event. Um, so it, it's badged as something that we understand as an all-star event, but I think we'd all agree can't really call it an all-star event. So what are they going to do? It's going to be similar to IndyCar road street course qualifying, kind of a knockout-ish type thing, um, drivers transferring, and then we'll end up with whatever that number is, 10 or 12 in the, quote, all-star race. And somebody's going to win, and they're going to get a bunch of money, and it's going to be cool. So none of the things here really fall into things we understand that make total sense that are like, yep, got it. Everything's just a little bit ill-fitting. And yet, the alternative was doing nothing and having IndyCar hold its first race at St. Pete and then go quiet for a really long time and having everyone screaming and yelling, going, what in the world? How do you do this? This doesn't help IndyCar. Good Lord, you open the season and then we all forget you. So I'd rather be at thermal mid to late March, uh, doing an event that still doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but at least gives us something and it's going to be broadcast on NBC network. So the rating should be pretty good. And yeah, the ticket prices are crazy and yeah, there aren't going to be a ton of spectators there. And this is kind of, if not completely contrived, but the alternative is going silent. And I don't think anybody would, would say that is the best direction for IndyCar right now, while other series are kind of sort of kicking its butt. So, uh, get it, but, and I'm in agreement with a lot of it, but yeah, uh, I'd rather do something than nothing. Uh, Andrew Miller, let's see. What did NASCAR get right about Chicago that IndyCar failed to get right about Nashville? So any hope the changes enforced by the stadium construction will bring some fresh new thoughts for this year's season finale? Uh, if IndyCar's done anything wrong with Nashville, keeping in mind that uh, it is not IndyCar's event, it's run by a independent promotions group, um... I think the the main differences here, NASCAR worked directly with Chicago government, mayor's group and whatnot, and really made this a series and city collaboration uh, that seemed to open up a lot of pretty cool options. Would say the backdrops helped quite a bit. Very cinematic looking event. Uh, drew a lot of interest in a place that never been a racing city. I realize that, yes, there's some ovals in and around, but just saying downtown Chicago, no one's ever really thought of that as a racing hub or a place to hold a street race. So it's a big market to crack open. So that was really smart. Um, I think the Nashville race has been cool. 
I do wonder if the layout has conspired against like massive adoption by locals. This is the former layout, knowing that so much of it uh, was running across a bridge where there's no spectating options, and at least running across the bridge and doing a couple lefts and rights and coming back across the bridge, there's no real spectating options there. So in terms of where do you place folks, pretty heavy for going onto the bridge and coming off of the bridge, and then a little bit in and around the stadium start-finish area, but not a ton where you could say, wow, get in there, press your nose up against the fence, and see it happen all over the place, just the way the track was configured wasn't really something that welcomed a lot of curiosity for locals to come up and see and experience chicago very different that way where just how the track was laid out a lot of opportunities for folks to wander over and go what is that uh or if they bought a ticket and got in like a lot of places they could wander around and just see and experience not so much with the former nashville layout so i'm hoping with its move primarily or its new heavy focus on downtown-ish area in Broadway, I'm hoping that more of that is possible. Uh, closer to people, closer to action, and to become something that feels like it's a little more in Nashville instead of happening by and large over a bridge where folks just can't get there to see it, feel it, and experience it. So and I don't know if there's a, a, a failed on the Nashville side that I would, if I thought it was there were failures there, I'd say it for sure. I don't know if I've seen that, but I'm hopeful, Andrew, for sure, that with the revised layout, there will be more a more firm adoption by more locals who want to be there and feel it and experience it because it's now a little bit more in their lap instead of something that's run kind of more remotely going away from them that they can't get up close to see uh last couple of questions here chris damato you say marshall loved all the content you put out over the weekend for the velocity invitational especially the mclaren cars so i realized there's only so much that you can put in videos and in quick news stories but can you share what it was like being with tony as he saw Senna's MP46 1991 World Championship winner in person for the first time, what it was like seeing him get to drive his hero and mentor and friend's car. Um, say also, is it true that the belt settings for Tony were the same as Senna's? Um, I'm told that they were. Uh, there was a gentleman by the name of Gary, a long-standing McLaren employee who was running that 1969 McLaren M7C. F1 car, the one with the pair of big wings mounted to it. Uh, And Gary, during the entire time Senna was at McLaren, that'd be 1988 through 1993, uh, was a mechanic uh, on Senna's cars and is also the person who strapped him in and and belted him in every time. And uh, while he wasn't running the 91 McLaren, Senna's world championship winner. Tony did drive some other cars that Gary was working on and had Gary strap him in. And I know that that meant 
a ton. It, like really, truly meant a ton to him. So that was really cool. Um, it was great for Tony. I mean, it was truly great to see that for Tony. Um, I think I mentioned in one of maybe the first video or whatever video, but the one we did about the reveal of that car called him and said, Hey, I'm working on getting you into that car. Cause you just got to be in it and said, I'd also like to do a bit of a little walk around video and, you know, look at it with you and talk about it and share your memories. And, you know, I, I can share some as well. Love that car. Watched Senna was my favorite F1 driver. He still is. Um, watch that entire season, have most of the still on videotape. Uh, that car again, one of my all time favorites as well. Maybe, do a little technical discussion as well. Um, you said, okay, great. I'd love to, but I don't want to see it first. Like, I don't want to let go and see it and rehearse and like, no, I, I want to just, if we're going to film something, I, I want to just film me seeing it for the first time and how I react. And, you know, I just want it to be raw and honest like that. I'm like, dude, that's the best idea. I'm embarrassed. I didn't think of that. Uh, and so that's what we did. And, it was clear he was having to process a lot, but he said in the video, like, it doesn't even seem real. And that's what stood out. Like, that's his all-time favorite car, his all-time favorite driver, hero, mentor, and all the things you mentioned. Uh, he saw Senna use that car to win. It was not specific chassis, but um, to win the Brazilian Grand Prix as a kid. And, like, just there's so many links here that are amazing. And it was just clear he was overwhelmed. I thought we would see more emotion, but you tend to get two directions with things like that with emotion. It's either an explosion or you go a bit numb. And that's what I think it was for Tony. Not numb in a bad way, but just like, whoa, it was too much. Shut it down. And that was just really fun, really special. Um it was awesome to Tony's wife, Lauren, known forever. She's amazing, too. She was there, and she was just like, I can't believe he's going to get to drive this. Like, this is <laughs> this is means so much to him. The fact that she could be there with him uh, while he experienced all that was just amazing. And what was funny, maybe not unexpected, but... Tony's driven a million race cars. Uh, he's driven the fastest Indy cars that ever existed, right? 240 plus miles an hour, 1,000 plus horsepower in the cart era. You know, this guy, <laughs> there's nothing you could put him in that would scare him. And watching him come and walk to the little pit lane pre-grid area with Lauren, walk by and he was not wanting to look up too much. He was not wanting to let the world in too much. And then watching him go over and put his helmet down and kind of look at the car and realize this was really happening. This is the time. Um, just observed. He was really fidgety. Like you could tell here's the guy who's tamed these fastest, craziest indie cars ever. And he was nervous. And I was like, wow, that's cool. That's so cool, right? Seen Tony drive for decades and decades. And again, we know him. We know how good he is. We know how brave he is. 
it was just so cool seeing him now mid forties, whatever, uh, twilight of his, his racing career. Guys like that never get nervous. Right. And just to see him in that place where he had all this energy, didn't know what to do with, and just little kind of ticks and wringing his hands and shaking his hands and just not being able to really sit within himself comfortably while standing next to the car and knowing what was going to happen. And, um, yeah, I didn't perceive that in any kind of critical negative way. It was look how much this means to him. And he knows that he can't just burst out crying right now. He needs to hold it in, but he's got so much going on. It's just naturally finding its way out through, little nervous gestures to express what's going on. So that was really cool. Um, it was also just awesome to see him climb from the car, process it. Also, he's there with McLaren, right? Newish employer. Being totally unguarded, totally... Ah! just crying in tears and slumped on the ground like if it was just five of us there private day no mclaren leadership just mechanics and a couple folks to film stuff i bet you he probably would have needed some time to go sit down and let all the emotions out but since this is in a public setting with you know zach and all the other folks there and fans in the stands there's a really good turnout for this event as well i think he realized okay i gotta i gotta hold this in a little bit so that's the only thing i wish could have been a little bit different for him but it was it was it was really cool a little note here to close on that chris is we did film a technical talk about the car and had i i rent i wasn't able to time-wise to edit that into the reaction piece um because i had to go film stuff actually had to go film him driving the car uh that would have pushed the video out to like 17 minutes so i just did the first half the reaction bit and then sometime here in the near future i'll edit up and post uh the technical talk about the car and uh, some of his um thoughts there too so yeah it was pretty cool uh it was really cool and Pato as well, racing Hamilton's 2008 world champion at MP423. That was awesome as well. So, yeah, uh, weekends like this, even at the end of a long season, Chris, where, you know, I'm worn out, um, just rejuvenating like you wouldn't believe. Um, let's see. We got, well, I got two to close. Um, and they're just that. Um,. You know, Ed George, you got a question here. So let me get this straight. McLaren, which is not a good term, which is not on good terms with Honda, has possession of an F1 Honda V12, a rare piece of kit. But Dario Franchitti, who I assume is on better terms with Honda, can't have an engine for his Indy car. What is up with that? Um, well, many things. Uh, this was a factory relationship between McLaren and Honda uh, many, many, many decades ago, and McLaren owning and keeping its cars with engines in them um i'm sure is part of the deal uh there's no 
factory arrangement that I'm aware of between Honda teams and Honda here in American IndyCar so that when Dario was done driving for Team Green, Team Cool Green, um, and acquired his Renard chassis from that time, there's no link between the team and Honda Performance Development for it to have a motor in it. So very big difference here. Not only are we talking about the difference between an F1 team and IndyCar, but HPD is an entirely different organization than uh, Honda Racing Corporation. So, yeah, um, apples and oranges, Ed. Uh, Andy Brumbaugh, more Team Penske related than IndyCar, but how did we end up with a champion driver for Penske and NASCAR with a full beard talking about Ryan Blaney? Yeah, I love that. That's pretty amazing, right? Uh, I want to see Will Power with his full beard. Uh, Vincent, you sent this in as well. I'm not sure I understand it, but okay. So you sent this into my weekend IndyCar show. Uh, since I don't see photo credits or articles from you, what is it that you do on IMSA weekends? Um, I just, I'll share this, Vincent. So you sent this in on Twitter, uh, which I would assume means that you follow me on Twitter. So there's pretty much nothing that I do for a client that I don't share on Twitter. So if you're sending this in on Twitter, and ask me what I do on IMSA weekends. And I share everything I do on IMSA weekends and IndyCar weekends on Twitter. I would just suggest scrolling back uh, the last couple of IMSA races uh, to the time where those took place. And you will find your answers. Uh, we're going to close with two items here. Positioned by our pal Jerry Siddeth. Ken Anderson. Say thanks for taking time in your chaotic life to answer questions and doing all you do. Well, that's sweet. Uh, I really admire your dedication to racing while going through the cancer treatment with your wife, Shabrell. Looking forward to this week's podcast. Only 115 days until St. Pete. Well, that's all really sweet, Ken. And I hope this weekend's podcast didn't suck. And uh, 115 days to St. Pete. I need more. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I realize that my view of things is very different than yours. But yeah, I just want more time. Uh, to not yeah work um we're gonna close well all right i guess we're stacking up the sweet things here uh jamie carr how you doing brother jamie um hope all is well in your world i know you've been going through some uh some not fun times you say best to you and your wife not really a question but an observation given next week is thanksgiving let's, let's focus on the positives and what we as fans are thankful for with indycar say hashtag me personally the official hashtag of the marshall Brewer podcast uh seems that IndyCar racing is growing in popularity. The on-track product is good, exciting, and entertaining. We can watch all the races on TV or streaming services. I can attend some races in person. There's a plethora of media about IndyCar and a dedicated group of reporters such as yourself reporting on all things IndyCar. And most importantly, there are other fans to share our passion with and have become friends, that being the Prude listener group. Did I miss anything? Well, I think you didn't. I think you nailed it all, my friend. Uh, I think we're also pretty fortunate to have many drivers who are really open and inviting and engaging, be it on social media or, and this is the, I think, best part, in person. Realize that 
drivers are often held up as heroes or whatever they might be folks that we idolize say you're amazing you do this incredible thing and i look to you in some sort of elevated fashion but i know some of you crazy prude members uh and just fans in general built some really cool relationships where if you run into a little dave little davy malukas he'll stop and will know you and have fun with you and pose for photos or answer questions or just interact. Callum Eilat's another one for sure. Scott McLaughlin comes to mind, right? Like among the most interesting, funniest, and realest drivers you'll ever come across. Like almost to his detriment. Like the guy is so extraordinarily talented that if he shut himself off a bit was more aloof i think he'd be held in a more elite mindset by more people but he doesn't he's the most engaging normal guy you'd want to have a beer with uh which is and i don't want him to change but like in a different era where there was no social media i and drivers didn't really engage with the public that much i think mclaughlin would be spoken of in much more elite terms than he is so again a little weird but the fact that we get him being so open is just awesome run down the list right uh there's so many drivers at so many teams who really make genuine efforts to welcome you me and others into their worlds i think that's the big thing that stands out not the only series Tons of IMSA drivers are super cool and fun and open. They just aren't as well-known. But I think you nailed this one, Jamie, and it's a perfect lead-in to Thanksgiving. So thanks to y'all for all the questions you sent in. And we didn't get to all of them, but we got to as many as I could. Thanks to Jerry, for sure, for putting all these. Let's give him, Jerry. Let's give a round of applause to Jerry Suddeth for being amazing, spending couple hours per week putting together the questions putting them in an order he thinks would make for an interesting show coming up with a red line of death and moving the ones below it that he i might get to if i have time but um don't quite make the cut but thanks to y'all for everything you sent in also to our partners at cooper tires the justice brothers torontomotorsports.com and discount tire apologies for this friday episode but try and do better next week and indeed we'll speak to y'all next week